I'll show you politics in America. Here it is, right here. I think the puppet on the right shares my beliefs. I think the puppet on the left is more to my liking. Hey, wait a minute. There's one guy holding up both puppets. Shut up. Go back to bed, America. Your government is in control. Read my lips. Just send your cash. There has never been so many lies, so much deception. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. (laughs) Please clap. It's time for the Mike Madison Show, a new breed of conservative talk. Now, here's your host, Mike Madison. All right, good morning. Welcome to the Mike Madison Show here at 103.9 WYAB and happy Leap Day to everybody. Every four years, we get this extra day of the year. I guess it really kind of depends on where you are in your life (laughs) as to whether or not an extra day is a gift or a curse. You know, if you're a salaried employee, you got to work an extra day. Don't get paid for that. But if you're paying a mortgage or paying rent, you get an extra day to live without any extra expense either. So I think it's pretty much a wash, like anything, the good and the bad. But at this point in my life, I think I'll, I'll take an extra day. Years fly by. The more time goes by. Boy, it is amazing how quickly time can fly by. I've got my quote of the day today. It's a post from someone named Daniel Coatson, and I ran across this. I spoke yesterday on the show about this idea that, you know, politics is, around, is based on keeping us constantly alarmed. And just within the past few weeks, we've seen everything from the, the new spy balloon the, uh, what was it, the uh, AT&T at least, or maybe several cell carriers went down and people thought that was a sign of something bigger to come. I'm not saying it's not, but it didn't turn out to be that case that day. And there are people saying it was Chinese hackers. It's just, it's just so much out there that we are conditioned to be fearful of. And Daniel Coatson posted this. He said, like everyone, I learned a lot during COVID. The saddest thing I learned was that most people abandon their principles when they are scared. This means they don't really actually have any principles. It also means that anytime people are terrified, they are easy to manipulate. I mean, you look at the, what has happened on the left. They were the true defenders of so many civil liberties and free speech for so long, but as soon as they were convinced to fear COVID or fear Donald Trump, they immediately abandoned all those principles and asked for, no, begged for, more censorship and uh, just draconian policies around COVID. So it, it is a shame. I guess that's part of the part of the condition of the human mind that I need to just grapple with. Somebody had asked me yesterday uh, after the show. I did a pretty good deal of uh, bashing Donald Trump yesterday yesterday for his really vocal and enthusiastic support of Lindsey Graham. He made this speech after the South Carolina primary. I guess he won another one. He won Michigan on Tuesday night as well. He's six for six. I don't know if that's unprecedented or not. I don't think I've seen it in my lifetime. Nikki Haley, like a bad venereal disease, just won't go away. But I was going after Donald Trump because Lindsey Graham is truly one of the worst senators to have ever occupied the U.S. Senate, one of the most blood-drenched monsters 
to come out there and Donald Trump keeps putting his arm around him and trying to convince his supporters that he's one of the good guys. And so this happens a lot. Obviously, I have a lot of criticisms about Donald Trump and someone asked me, well, what do you want, Trump or the Democrats? And, you know, I know this is where our country is right now. They really only allow us two choices. And in my opinion, they are both controlled by the special interests. Maybe different special interests have a little bit more control with one side or the other, but the, the really big players, the military-industrial complex, the pharmaceutical companies, the foreign lobbyists, they hold sway with both parties. It's really just differences at the edges, kind of. But let me just answer the question, and I almost feel like this should be a daily dis, uh, disclaimer to the show, although I'm just not going to repeat it every day. When it comes to Trump versus Biden, it's Donald Trump 100%. And I'll even go so far as to say in the vast majority of cases, if it's between a Republican or a Democrat, the better option of those two is the Republican. But that is still, in most cases, not a good choice. It is a less bad choice. Now, Donald Trump is obviously way better than Joe Biden, but I would say there are probably 300 million Americans that are better than Joe Biden. I'm including some toddlers, some tweens, some teens, and most adults. And as you notice, though, out of 330 million, where are we now? 330, 300, uh, 340 million people. There are probably 30 to 40 million people that may actually be worse than Joe Biden, if that's possible. So I'm allowing for that. But there are probably 300 million Americans that are better than Joe Biden. And my criticisms of Donald Trump are fact-based. They're not emotional. It's not what people call TDS, Trump derangement syndrome. Donald Trump has a long list of problems. Too long to go through right now. I've been listing them out for the last six years after I voted for him in 2016. And so Trump is a better choice for president than Biden or probably anybody else the Democrats put up by a long shot. My problem is people thinking that Donald Trump is some kind of a savior, that he's some kind of radical departure from the typical politician. He is not. Donald Trump is another one of these politicians that says what his people want to hear in order to be loved and elected. And then when he gets into office, he does the opposite of what he said he would do, or at least he did the last time. And his love for Lindsey Graham shows me that nothing has really changed. You know, on the news yesterday, they were talking about, I guess this is in front of the Supreme Court, that a gun manufacturer has gone against the bump stock ban. And I started thinking about it. Who has passed more gun control laws, Donald Trump or Joe Biden? I believe that answer is Donald Trump, just with the bump stock ban. And this is something that most people want to ignore or pretend it's a non-issue. That doesn't matter, Mike. Bump stocks are silly. This is what I started hearing. I guarantee you that if Barack Obama or Joe Biden had outlawed bump stocks during his term, gun enthusiasts, gun Second, uh, uh, Second Amendment supporters would have been up in arms. No, you don't. Shall not be infringed. When Donald Trump does it, it's just like, a oh, well, we don't really use them anyway. And this is my big fear for a second Trump term. 
all of the freedom fighters out there that will hold Barack Obama and Joe Biden accountable for any tiny encroachment on our freedom, and you will put them on blast for it, we lay that down when it comes to Donald Trump. We've had what is one of the most horrific things that has ever befallen the United States, which is the COVID vaccination program. And no, Donald Trump didn't mandate it, but it's kind of like, you know, this is kind of silly to me. It's almost like saying uh, you, you walk up to a playground and you leave a loaded gun there right next to the slide. And then some kids start killing each other. And you say, I didn't, I didn't tell them to pick up the gun and shoot anybody. I just made it available to them. I mean, this is just bizarre to me that Donald Trump, and and the saddest thing about four more years of Donald Trump means there will be zero accountability for anything that happened during COVID. Now, of course, as I say, Trump is better than Biden. Biden's not going to hold anybody accountable. We're not going to have any any reckoning for Anthony Fauci under four more years of Joe Biden or any other Democrat, but it ain't going to happen under Donald Trump either. Donald Trump still, and I've got clip after clip after clip of this, where he is still proud of his handling of COVID. He's still proud of this genetic experiment that has been done to the American people. That has not changed. There has been no mea culpa. And I don't know there's one I really would accept because the only acceptable thing is I was duped. And I got to tell you, I ain't voting for a guy that was duped enough to put out an experimental vaccine on his own citizens when he knew, he knew there were problems with vaccines going before he got in. He, he started to hire Robert F. Kennedy Jr. to come in and run a vaccine safety commission during the Trump presidency. RFK came down on the golden elevator from Trump Towers after Trump had been elected, but before he took office, and he said that he had talked to Trump and they may do a vaccine safety commission because Donald Trump knew there were problems with vaccines. So what happened? What happened to the RFK vaccine safety commission that was supposed to take place under under Donald Trump in his first term? Well, two things happened. One, a conversation with anyone, anyone, Bill Gates. Donald Trump took the counsel of Bill Gates. He also took a million dollars from Pfizer for his inauguration. Suddenly there was no vaccine safety commission. RFK was just dismissed. And so this is what my problem is. My problem is not saying that Donald Trump is wildly better than Joe Biden, but I think that says a lot because Donald Trump's not it. You could do better. And I think I said this yesterday, if I had any hope that Trump supporters would actually hold him accountable for some of these things, then you might be able to... He needs your love. He craves your love and your attention. Same way that a child does. But with a child, you put some conditions on that. I mean, we always love our children, but we explain to them, we're not going to support you in everything. There are certain things we're not going to support you in. And we try to redirect our children's behavior letting them know what is acceptable and what is not. With Donald Trump, it's everything's acceptable. Do whatever you want. We'll justify it. We'll explain it's part of a bigger plan. We'll, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Donald Trump is leaps and bounds better than Joe Biden. That doesn't make him good. That does not make him good. He might be good on a few different things. And there's some things I could even say about the first Trump administration that I really do appreciate 
His calling out the wars, at least, didn't do a whole lot about him. Much to everybody's, you know, he didn't start another war. Well, he kind of tried, and he didn't even get us out of Afghanistan. So credit where credit is due, he did kind of take the take the foam off the top of this frothing that conservatives have been doing for war for a long time. He didn't make as big of a difference, and he did commit us to stealing Syrian oil, which makes him, along with Joe Biden and Barack Obama and George Bush and Bill Clinton and the rest of them, a bunch of war criminals. Anyway, there's my qualifier there. If, if you come to me, if we're deadlocked in this country, and there's only one option, you've got to either vote for Donald Trump or Joe Biden, and everything's tied, and they come to Mike Madison and say, what are you going to do? And I'll say Trump. But I'm not going to do it willingly, and I ain't going to go to the polls to vote for the guy. He's already shown me what he is. All right, uh, as I say, I can't do that disqualifier every day. So we'll get into some other stuff. I'm actually going to get into the serial scam today. We touched on it a little bit yesterday after hearing the CEO of Kellogg's tell him that he smiled during an, he was smiling during an interview with CNBC as he said, you know, they're really ramping up their efforts to make cereal great for dinner because the consumer is under pressure. And I, I, really, I hope you saw that clip to see this guy smiling as he talks about the pressure the American consumer is under that may get him some more cereal sales uh, for dinner. So today we are going to take a look at the scam that is how cereal uh, came to be, this staple of American breakfast. It's not doing you any favors. We'll talk about it in a bit. Stay with me. The Cohen blood, rough night in Jericho. You know, I, I don't think people really appreciate or can even understand how objective this show is from a perspective of, you know, real freedom in the United States, really dismantling this this empire we have, this overarching federal government we have. I mean, that that I do have that as kind of my core belief that that is a big problem, but I'm very objective. And I'll play a clip right now highlighting a Republican that I thought was just funny as hell. And I think I've kind of used this before, but this was Senator John Ken- uh What's his name? Uh, yeah, John Kennedy. He's a senator from Louisiana, I believe. And he was on the horrific Sean Hannity show. It's kind of funny. Before I ran across this clip, I realized I had not seen any Hannity clips for maybe a couple of months. And I was thinking, maybe, is Hannity gone? Is he just a nothing now? I think a lot of the... Tucker certainly sucked a lot of the a lot of the sunshine out of the room when he left Fox and left Sean Hannity there by himself. But anyway, this is Senator uh, Kennedy on the Sean Hannity show. He just made a <laughs> he made a hilarious comment. And the American people have figured it out, and that's why, if you believe the polls, the president is polling right up there with um, with Chlamydia. <laughs> You see, and the reason I say this show is so objective, I'm not a huge Kennedy fan. He's on the wrong side of a lot of issues. He's a bit of a grandstander, and, you know, while I can appreciate it, I like the humor of that. I've said many times, choosing between Republicans and Democrats is choosing between syphilis and gonorrhea. 
And I would imagine if I talked to a medical professional in sexually transmitted diseases, they could convince me that one of those was worse than the other. To me, it just seems like they're different, but they're both horrible. So I've compared the two, but (laughs) comparing (laughs) Joe Biden polling as popular as chlamydia, I thought was pretty beautiful. I, um, you know, and, and why don't I support John Kennedy or the Republican Party? And, you know, I want you to listen to this figure here. This was also uh, put out by Zero Hedge. U.S. GDP in the fourth quarter of last year grew, air quotes here in the studio, grew by $334 billion. You know, there's been a lot of talk. Uh, we're going to be into a recession. I, I can't believe we haven't hit a recession. Of course, I count the first two quarters of 2022 that were both negative, but we just pretended like that didn't happen, and we, we just didn't call it a recession. I believe the technical definition of a recession is two consecutive quarters with negative GDP growth, but people just kind of went, ah, yeah, but some other stuff, but unemployment was low, so we're just not going to count that as a recession. <laughs> I mean, okay, I guess. That's the kind of the game we're playing now. We just say things and they're supposed to be true. But I've been surprised we've not gone yet into a fairly deep, stark uh, recession with interest rates rising and all this other stuff. But so the fourth quarter of 2023, they tell us that GDP was up, right? Some positive figures. This is uh, Biden's hitching his wagon to this idea that we're, the economy's humming along. Everybody... Don't believe your lying eyes. Don't look at your bank statements. Don't look at prices in the grocery store. Just listen to the government and the media tell you that everything's going great. It's beyond me how that works at all. I don't think it is working, but anyway. So they told us that the economy grew by $334 billion in the fourth quarter of last year. Only problem with that? It took $834.2 billion in new debt. Just think about that. We only got $334 billion in growth, and we tacked on $834 billion in new debt. And I, st- I study a lot of economics and fascinated by this stuff. I'm not quite sure how you even have that kind of discrepancy. If the federal government is borrowing all this money, and they're shoving a bunch of it into the U.S. economy, through stimmies, I mean, even the, I mean, even the money they're giving to illegal immigrants at what, you know, ten thousand dollars a clip, or they're giving to the NGOs, which are giving given to the immigrants. Hell, they're in our country. You think at least they're spending them in our stores, and I don't guess they have to pay for rent. We seem to be providing them free places to live too. They're not provi- they're not spending it in medical care because we seem to be giving them free medical care. But you know, creating that much money, you would think you would think you'd get a little bit bigger bang for your buck. If you spend $834 billion of new debt, you could generate more than $334 billion in economic growth in the country, but no. And I'm not sure exactly why. I'm not sure if that is just that much money that is going outside our shores. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take a, take a quick detour here. I didn't know if I'd get to it in this show or anyway. I, I ran across... Somebody did a really excellent chart, a really excellent chart on uh, foreign aid in the United States. It's actually an interactive chart. Uh, it, it shows uh, the countries receiving foreign aid cumulatively since 1946. And so 
Now, let me just kind of, I'll, I'll narrate a little bit of this of it uh, in, let's see, that's up to, oh, we'll just start here. 1950, the United Kingdom to that point had received $66.9 billion in foreign aid. And it goes through what looks to be the top, uh, what is this, maybe 20 countries. But, you know, as the years go on, you can see different countries. I mean, they're all getting a little bit more, but different countries start to take the lead. Let me just fast forward this thing. And if anybody wants to see this, I think it's very compelling. I think it's very, very interesting. And I think it's very, uh, it's, it's very illustrative of a big problem that we've got in this country. And that problem is the fact that we're giving so much money away, we're saddled with this tremendous debt, yet it has not changed uh, a lick. They are currently, right now, debating whether or not they're going to give this next $100 billion to Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. But fast-forwarded to 2023, let me give you some of the figures here. The total in foreign aid. This is money that has been stripped from American taxpayers' wallets, just absolutely stripped you of your ability to create wealth through federal taxation. And as of 2023, these are the top 20 destinations for U.S. aid. Japan, I'm going to go from the bottom up. Anybody can guess the top one? Anyone? Anyone? It's really the top two that matter. We'll get to them. Japan, $32.9 billion dollars. This was in 2023. I don't know when this was reported. Ukraine at 34.6. The Philippines, 35.8. Jordan, 44.6. It goes up. Germany, Taiwan, Greece, Italy, Pakistan, France, Turkey, India, United Kingdom at 81.6 billion. South Korea at 88.1 billion. Because I know we're all terribly worried about North Korea still, right? We've given Iraq $91.5 billion, Vietnam $134.6 billion, Afghanistan $147.6 billion. Now, here's the top two. The total for this is foreign aid since 1950. Uh, the, the total is $2.5 trillion. $2.5 trillion dollars. Now, I got to tell you, a trillion here, a few hundred trillion, you know, a, a 10, 20 trillion there. You're, we're start talking about some real money, some nation wrecking money. The top two, Egypt. Egypt has received $151.9 billion. And number one, anyone, anyone? Israel. Israel has received $263.6 billion. And if you look at this interactive chart, you'll see that it wasn't that much back in 1950 when they were first formed. But over modern times, they leapfrogged every other nation and are now sitting at, uh, and this is before any of our latest gimmies to them, $263.6 billion. And the thing is about the top two is that the reason we've given Egypt $151.9 billion, one of the main reasons is we've been bribing Egypt to play nicey-nice with Israel, to ignore what's been going on with the Palestinians. We've actually been bribing Israel's neighbor. So on top of what we've given Israel, we've been bribing Israel's neighbor with more Fed bucks, taxpayer cash, to play nicey-nice with Israel, 
not to mention the trillions of dollars of wars that we have uh, spent money on fighting anyone, anyone, Israel's enemies. And so this is very interesting, and I'm going to bring this other point up, and this may or may not be real popular. It should be. I mean, I think this is a, a something worth thinking about. We've recently had this horrible story about this 22-year-old University of Georgia student, Lakin Riley. She was murdered by a Venezuelan immigrant, and it's just unbelievable. I saw a video of this girl posted where I think it was like a ring doorbell camera or something like that. It was her and one of her friends coming up to the porch to go inside her house. I couldn't even watch it when I realized what it was because just the seeing her, she was happy and laughing and cute and young and everything ahead of her. I went to University of Georgia too. There's almost even a little piece of that where just, you know, you, you kind of, a, kind of, understand what you know the life she's had and how great it can be and in Athens Georgia going to school and she's it's just absolutely heartbreaking and I completely understand the outrage of people who've been calling for you know immigration control in the wake of this Lake and Riley murder and it was a brutal murder too I mean, it seems beyond senseless that this happened, and there is blood on the hands of Joe Biden and this Mayorkas nut job who's running Homeland Security, which shouldn't even exist. If there was no Homeland Security, we might have a we might have a secure border because they would just know, hey, this is what we do. We're just controlling the borders. But every other politician on both sides of the aisle that have allowed this to continue while they pretend to do something about it or when it comes to election time, all of them have this poor Lake and Riley's blood on their hands. And while I completely understand the grief and anger and the outrage, I've had a sister. My sister was murdered. I know that feeling of grief and loss. I watched it rip apart my family. Not well, not rip apart, but it just it, it destroyed every Christmas afterwards because my sister was killed on December 15th. There was never another Christmas. So, I mean, this kind of senseless, brutal tragedy is hits home with me, and we can almost all feel it when we see this young, bright girl killed by this degenerate criminal that came over here from Venezuela. And I swear, I get it. I absolutely get it. It should be an issue. It's horrific. What I don't understand is how Americans can have such sympathy and, and understand that grief and that loss and that senselessness of seeing this young girl with her life in front of her, but not have a moment of grief or anger or outrage when 30,000 Lake and Rileys are being murdered in Gaza right now. Now, people can, you can hide behind the idea of, well, it's just Hamas, but it is. What's gone on in Gaza at the hands of the Israeli government, not at Jews. I like Jews. I don't, I don't like that. It, it's this Israeli government. I don't like any governments, but the Israeli government is among one of the worst. And it, it is well past the time of saying they're just getting rid of Hamas. If you haven't run away from the images of this, then you will have seen entire cities, people who've lived in these Horrible conditions for decades and decades, but at least they had a life. There are kids there, teenagers, 
like Lakin Riley, that were just trying to go to school. They were just trying to get better at soccer. They were just waiting for their next birthday. They were just getting married. They were just starting their lives. 30,000 people. Say 10% of those are actually evil Hamas, horrific terrorists. What about the other 90% of the people? And, and to not feel even a, just a twinge of that, hey, Lake and Riley's death is tragic and horrific and it should never have happened and anybody who's responsible for the events that led up to her death should be held accountable. I am with you 110%. But I don't know where we get this disconnect, where we see this one horrible tragedy that outrages all of us. But as soon as we take those numbers up to 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 people, then it just becomes a thing, you know? Ah, they're not human beings. It's just, you know, that's just war. You know, Madeleine Albright was asked, 500,000 children died in Iraq during the 1990s when you were sanctioning them and no-fly zones and cutting them off from foreign uh, trade and blockading medications and food and everything to put pressure on Saddam Hussein. Do you think it was worth it, Madeleine Albright? And she goes, yeah, we think it was worth it. 500,000 children in my name and in your name. And my great shame is that I actually supported this when I was a Kool-Aid drinking, neocon, warmongering Republican in my idiotic, formative adult years back in the 1990s. But 500, when they put these numbers together, people should look at what Israel is doing. I'm not saying you have to... I don't support Hamas. For the love of God, quit being this child who thinks that if I criticize Trump, I must love Biden. If I criticize the Israeli government, I must be supporting terrorism. That's for idiot leftists to have that kind of binary thinking. But I'm affected deeply by this, this Lake and Riley death. It's just so horrific. And like I say, I couldn't even watch a video. I can't watch videos of what goes on in, in uh, the Palestinian areas these days either. You want to see some horrific stuff. Small children with these fresh, innocent eyes. They just don't have any legs left. And the fact that we can look at something and, and, and think that to, to take exception to this suddenly makes you some terrorist-supporting radical leftist is insane. It's dumb. And when we look at that and then combine it with this idea that we have given this government now, this Israeli government now, $263 billion and counting, we're about to give them another big aid package because neither one of these parties is not going to do that because the Israeli lobbying organization, even without Jeffrey Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein was quite the rainmaker for the Israeli government as a Mossad agent used to blackmail our politicians to do the bidding of the Israeli government. People like to forget that, I guess, when they cheer on Israel's slaughter of the people in Gaza. But I just don't know how this doesn't click with people the same way an individual death clicks with them. Maybe it's just overwhelming and most people can't even imagine the tragedy of 30,000 Lake and Riley's, these families destroyed. They didn't, they didn't deserve that. Many, many innocent people in Gaza, regardless of what the neocons who are convincing you to cheer for this tell you to believe. All right, when we come back, we'll lighten it up a little bit or <laughs> by exposing the scam that is breakfast cereal. I think it's an interesting story. If you do too, stick around. Be right back. 
We are back. This is the Mike Madison Show, 103.9 WYAB. I got a boogie through this story. It's it's really pretty fascinating. Here's the thing. Uh, yesterday, I played the clip of the Kellogg's CEO explaining to people with a grin on his face that the American consumer is under pressure, so they're touting breakfast cereals. Well, I guess I can't call them that anymore. They're, they're cereals for a dollar a portion uh, as dinner in the United States. And what is very interesting, I'm going to have to synopsize some of this because I've got a lot here. I was planning on just reading it. I don't have the time. But the bottom line is that breakfast in itself was sold to us. And breakfast cereal was sold to us for not any really good reason. Um, let me go on the record first and just say breakfast is not the most important meal of the day. That is a marketing slogan. I eat breakfast sometimes once a month, and this is only when I have a Sunday off and I'm on the road, and I might grab something from the hotel breakfast. It's free every single morning to me. My breakfast is cooked for me every morning I'm on the road, but I don't eat it. I go down there maybe once a month, twice a month, just for the variety. Most days I have a full fat coffee. I've talked about before. You can look it up, bulletproof coffee. And I'm not hungry till well into the afternoon. Hell, I don't even ever really eat lunch unless I'm meeting somebody out to do it. We eat too much. And we definitely eat too much of the wrong stuff. Now, if you have got three meals a day and you're feeling great and your health is good and you've got plenty of energy and you don't have peaks and, and valleys and, you know, just crash in the afternoons or the mornings or any of that stuff, then you just go for it. Because you might be like me. When I was young, I ate the standard American breakfast, lunch, and dinner schedule, and I thought that was normal. What was also normal for me was horrible stomach aches, headaches, insomnia, restless leg, and every flu and bronchitis I could find each year, I caught. I didn't dump breakfast immediately, but I've been a no-breakfast and rarely lunch guy now for about five years, and I've been pretty darn good shape. Hitting the gym in a fasted state is supposed to be pretty good for you as well. So if you really want to save some money, you know, the, the CEO of Kroger talking about having cereal for dinner, uh, I'm on day two of a fast. You want to save some money for a few days, you might want to look into doing a water fast. I'm using some electrolytes, so I am spending a little bit of money each day this time around to see how it, how it feels. But at the beginning of every year, I do some level of a two to seven day water fast just to kind of reset. I'm running late on it, but I was working. I was busy. I didn't want to, didn't want to do it till I got a little bit more relaxed time work-wise. Fasting is not for the kids, though, so don't try to save money by not feeding your children and say, yeah, Mike Madison told me to put my kids on a fast. Not good for kids. They, they need a lot more nutrition and constant stuff. But if you're an adult, fasting is great. And if you really want to save on food, you can actually do it and be healthier. While eating frosted flakes for dinner will harm your health, but if you want to start looking into intermittent fasting, you can cut out a meal or two a day and save a ton of money. That has been my way of life also for probably about seven or eight years now. I don't even remember when I really started doing that. Boy, it's convenient, it's cheap, and it saves a lot of money so I can eat good, healthy dinners. Anyway, the scam that is breakfast cereal. 
bottom line is that essentially breakfast cereal came about uh, from lobbyists and a religious group. The religious group aspect is kind of interesting. Uh, they were Seventh-day uh, Adventists. Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, I'm going to read from this story that, strangely enough, was found on The Guardian, but I looked at it as from 2016 before. <laughs> and this, this was probably seen as a harmless story back then before the entire media was just completely co-opted by corporations and globalists. They, occasionally they would sneak it. Hell, the New York Times just did a story about the fact the CIA has been openly operating in uh, Ukraine for well over 10 years, long before the Russians invaded. So every now and then, a corrupt, blind squirrel gets a nut. Uh, it was around this time, in the middle of a general healthier living fad, that breakfast cereals got their start at sanatoriums founded by followers of the newly formed Seventh-day Advent, Seventh Adventist religion. These religious health gurus opened sanatoriums and introduced people to vegetarian diets and eating bland. This was invented... Uh, by James Caleb Jackson and the better-known Kellogg's brand invented by John Harvey Kellogg were both born at sanatoriums. Jackson was a preacher and Kellogg a religious man who believed that masturbation was the greatest evil, which bland, healthy foods like cornflakes could prevent. <laughs> this was actually part of the advent of, no pun intended, of breakfast cereals to control men's urges to... Have a little fun with themselves. So that was part of it. The other side of it was also uh, lobbyists that wanted to start selling these grains to people. They then started looking into vitamins and stuff, and they fortify. When you see your cereals fortified with a bunch of synthetic vitamins, these things are not doing your body any, any favors. You can get plenty of good uh, actual uh, nutrition through real food. But they also went in here to say, uh, uh, let's see, a public relations expert working for the Beech Nut Company, Edward Bernays, he exploited all the moralization and health fears around breakfast to help the company push bacon for breakfast. Now, look, I'm not going to make any fans on this show telling you to avoid bacon. It's one of the tastiest things that's ever been exist in existence. But the idea that it was for breakfast, all of these were lobbying groups that started telling us to do this stuff. Here was another Another part about it, uh, they went in to say that well, one of the other ways that breakfast or cereals were pushed was that they were trying to get women into the workforce. We talked about that yesterday, I believe, to double the tax base. And what, what happened was they tried to guilt moms into saying, you, you don't have time to fix your kids' breakfast anymore because you've got to get to work yourself. You can't cook them a good, healthy breakfast. Why don't you just throw us some flakes into a bowl and pour some ultra-pasteurized milk on it, call it a day, call your job as a mom done. And so it was used actually uh, to make people feel like they were doing something for their kids. Anyway, I wish I had a little more time to do this. I, maybe I'll, I'll flesh this out when I have more time. Breakfast is not the most important meal of the day. If it works for you, that's great. But maybe you don't need a, de uh, a heavy dinner at the end of the day then. That's just another one of these things we've been marketed into. And to this day, you will still hear breakfast is the most important meal of the day. It sets the tone for your whole day. I'm here to tell you it doesn't have to. I'll be right back. I woke up in my clothes again this morning. Should heed my doctor's warning. He says, 
I've only got about a minute left here. That wasn't my best presentation on cereal. Look into it yourself. I, I think these are fascinating stories. Look, the bottom line to American history is it's basically all a scam. And I don't, I don't say that really to just be uh, completely cynical or just a downer where I, I don't go along with anything they say. But really, when you stop and look at it, look at, look at vaccinations, what they've sold us, 72 doses for our children before they're six years old. Is that where we are right now? And now everybody's discovering, wait a second, they don't have, they've got liability protection. They're, they're doing studies where they show that unvaccinated children are actually healthier. Isn't that the exact opposite of what you would have thought? It, it just, it, the food that we eat, what we're told to do, we've been told to run away from the sun for the past 30 or 40 years. It's going to kill us all. Turns out everybody's short on vitamin D. You get into the war stuff. Just realize they've been selling us on these banker wars as Smedley Butler tried to tell us in the 30s and Eisenhower tried to tell us in 1960. I mean, it is just thing after thing after thing we have been sold. This goes for candidates, too. And so it is just very hard. I don't know there's one kind of mainstream piece of advice or narrative that you can't pick apart and find out what powerful group was actually behind making you think that. It has nothing to do with real biology. Climate change isn't about the climate. It's about the people who will profit off of carbon trading. People will eventually wake up to that. It seems like it's starting to happen. Not fast enough for my taste, but it's just, it's just everything. Every one of them, even your, even your breakfast cereal, sold to you on a lie. The lies must end. I'm trying to do it here on the Mike Madison Show. That's all the time I've got. Have a great one. Enjoy your extra day of the year, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Me and my crew, we stay